Hi, I'm Connie Loises. And this is Alex Gove. And this is Strictly VC Download. Happy Friday, everyone. We hope you are having a wonderful week and really enjoying some much-needed time off. That, of course, doesn't mean you have to take a break from Strictly VC. This isn't work, right? All right, enough nonsense. Connie has a great interview with Sequoia partner Jess Lee, a Hong Kong native, Stanford graduate, and former Googler who ran and sold the venture-backed outfit Polyvore before being recruited into the world of venture capital. Lee and her confreres have started a new program in which they give a select group of startups $1 million in investment capital and then help them refine their mission through a seven-week program. Sequoia has already run a similar program in Europe. But first, the news. As any reader of Strictly VC knows, the list of startups receiving new rounds of funding seems to grow longer and longer each day. Nevertheless, according to a report by PitchBook and the National Venture Capital Association, the total value of deals in the first half of 2022 dropped approximately 9%, falling to $144.2 billion versus $158.2 billion over the same period last year. Consumer tech deals seem to have been hit particularly hard. The report further predicts that activity will slow down in the second half of the year as the private market catches up with a huge decline in the public markets. Still, it's not all doom and gloom. First, 2021 was undoubtedly an outlier in terms of VC investment. Historically low interest rates, as well as the COVID-19 pandemic, contributed to an unprecedented uptick in startup investment. Second, while the amount of investment in the first half of this year has fallen, excluding 2021, the number of investments in the first half of this year is actually on a record pace. In addition, seed stage investments which are less subject to market swings because of their long gestation period appear to be going strong. And finally, VC fundraising in the first half of this year has already reached nearly 87% of 2021's full market total. Yes, two-thirds of this capital was raised by billion-dollar-plus funds. And yes, first-time managers are facing very significant headwinds. But the good news is that VCs still have a record amount of dry powder, some $290 billion in the U.S. alone, with nearly 3,000 funds having been closed since the beginning of 2019. With the Fed talking about raising rates by up to a full point, and the prospect of a recession growing more real every day, the next two quarters will inevitably be tough, especially for companies raising B and C rounds. But for those companies that do make it, the silver lining is that there should be plenty of VC dollars on the other side. Remember the good old days of the pandemic, when startups let everyone work from home and salaries and perks soared? According to an article in today's Wall Street Journal, those days may be over. In the piece, a recruiting executive at Corn Ferry tells the paper that roughly 50% of the open jobs he tried to fill this time last year were fully remote. Now that number is closer to 25%. And the journal cites anecdotal evidence that suggests that salaries may be falling too. The paper points to the example of Lindsay Collins Guest, who was laid off from Bolt, a financial payment startup, and discovered that the going rate for her services was almost 30% less than her previous salary. If the journal is to be believed, one obvious culprit 
is Grumpy VCs. Bill Gurley, an always cantankerous partner at Benchmark, tweeted that the ultra-low interest rate era created competition for workers that led to a, quote, Disney-esque set of experiences and expectations. Quote, for employees that have only known this world, the idea of layoffs or cost reduction or being asked to come into the office is straight-up heresy. This is not their fault, he continued. Excess capital led to excessive showering of employee benefits and heightened expectations. Not to be outdone, Josh Wolf, a partner at Lux Capital, echoed Elon Musk's complaint that remote workers at Twitter were just phoning it in when he claimed on Twitter that, quote, remote work works in remote cases. The implication, of course, is that it doesn't work in what another VC crank, Keith Raboy of Founders Fund, calls IRLs, or, quote, in-real-life startups. While one might expect an ordinary venture capitalist to speak his or her mind regardless of the evidence, it was remarkable how little data the journal article contained to back up its claims. All of which begs the question, so who exactly is phoning it in? Up next, Connie's interview with Jess Lee of Sequoia. But first, a word from our sponsor. Looking to leverage alternative data in your investment research, but struggling with the complexity? Join leading VCs, PEs, hedge funds, and asset managers who use Synaptic to power their sourcing, tracking, and due diligence. Synaptic is a no-code platform that provides AI-driven insights by unifying a wide range of data sets, such as web traffic, employee data, hiring data, product reviews, and more. Never miss an early signal. Schedule a demo at synaptic.com to learn more. That's S-Y-N-A-P-T-I-C dot com. And now here's Connie's interview with Jess Lee of Sequoia. Jess, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. It's always a treat to talk to you. Thank you for having me. You've been a partner with Sequoia Capital for six years or so at this point. That's right. right. And I know you're also the firm's chief product officer, and you seem always to be finding new ways to help educate founders in Sequoia's sphere. I was just looking at a piece that I'd done a couple of years ago, and we were talking about this internal Sequoia program for the pre-seed and seed stage startups that the firm was backing, and that was designed to arm individuals, I think you'd said, with the firm's tribal knowledge. And that was a three-week program. Today, we're going to be talking about a new program, ARC, A-R-C, which is a seven-week program for founders who Sequoia has not yet backed. Did that shorter program inspire this new program? Are they in any way related? Yes, they absolutely are related. I would say at Sequoia, we think about what we offer founders as there's obviously capital, which is commodity. We have wonderful partners that are board members. But what we also want to help founders with is company building knowledge and expertise and community. And we call it company design the Sequoia way to start, build, and scale enduring companies. And there's so much that goes into building an amazing company. And what we've tried to do over the course of many years, actually, across multiple programs is boil all of that down into foundational company building concepts on topics like culture, hiring, product, customer obsession, business model, and pack that into 
in ARC, at least a, a seven-week program, but we've done prior iterations where these were cohort programs for Sequoia-backed founders. And the difference with ARC is that it's an open application program. It's the first time we've done it here in the, in the Americas. We opened up in Europe about seven weeks ago. We're in the final week of the program right now, but it's open application. So more folks can apply. It's a million dollar investment up front. It's a wonderful community. We've seen the bonds formed by the European cohort. They all went to Stockholm together to visit Klarna, which is an example of real greatness in the European ecosystem. And so we've been working on the curriculum for many, many years, but I would say this iteration of the program has a lot of new elements. I'm sure there's going to be a ton of interest in the U.S. program, as I'm sure there was in Europe. How many startups were involved in the Europe program? We had thousands of applications, but we ended up with 17 companies. And was that sort of arbitrary or is that a target? We had planned to do somewhere between 15 and 20, and I think that's probably what we'll do for the Americas as well. But we read every single application. We talked to many, many founders who applied and ultimately ended up with this wonderful class of the first 17. Who is reading through these applications? Because thousands of applications is a lot to get through. All the investors at Sequoia on the early team are reading applications. And so each of these teams receives a million dollars. The obvious question is, what kind of a stake does Sequoia get in the company for that check? We have flexibility around the terms, but it's a million dollar equity stake. But for 10% or less standard or potentially more, is there any kind of a range you can share? It has varied because there are some folks for whom this is the first check. So what you said, it would be pretty typical. And then there are some folks who were already in the process of raising their seed round. And so we put a million into that round or folks who even opened up their last round to join the program. So there's definitely a little bit of a range. Most of the companies are pre-seed or seed though. Okay. Interesting. I was wondering if you were going to rule out companies that had received backing before. So when you say outlier, maybe if you can just drill into that a little bit more so we can understand who's eligible here. We're looking for foundations. Founders who want to build long-term transformational category-defining companies, the kind that make something brand new, carve out a new market. And we think that the founders that attempt to do that have a big scale of ambition, a lot of grit, and a lot of hustle, and maybe a little bit of a unique insight into their market or their customer. That's great. Can you give me an example of a European team right now that's carving out what you think could be a new category? One of the European companies that I found really fascinating is called Choice Options. The founder is Martin Gold. He actually ran, I think, a 100-person product org at Spotify. He's, he's quite experienced. And one of his observations from Spotify was music is a huge, fast catalog. And what Spotify did so well was narrow down through understanding your taste, what you might like, and fixing the paradox of choice. He's trying to do that for various different categories across books, food, destinations, travel, and so we thought he was exceptional and really interesting and that unique insight and that scale of ambition we decided to invest. So just to kind of underscore, it really is about the idea, the ambition. It's not necessarily you ruling out teams that you might look at anyway. I was thinking, would you rule out a team from Stanford or MIT? It doesn't sound like you would. Does outlier in any way mean underrepresented founders? Not necessarily in this case. No, I, I think it's more about the scale of ambition and there's nobody we would rule out. Maybe another interesting example is there's a company called Ikiro. One of the founders used to be a, a cop in Ireland and yeah. his whole life has been about protecting and guarding people. And now he's building a cybersecurity company that is guarding people. So 
that was sort of an interesting insight we pulled out of the first week. The first week of ARC is actually all about the founder and the founder journey that Sequoia, we call it the climb. And you actually spend a lot of time just thinking about what makes you special, how to tell your story, why you. We ended the week with, we called it a story slam, a founder story slam, and folks got up and actually just told their stories. And it was this beautiful dinner in London and folks were just getting up on the mic and sharing a little bit of their story. And you could tell the class had already bonded because there's lots of whooping and cheering and it was a lot of fun. And we also did these exercises where people, you know, sometimes it's funny how you can't stitch together your own story Mm -hmm. until you tell it to someone and then they tell it back to you. And actually that was an interesting moment for, I think the Akiro founders, he had this insight like, oh, I really have been protecting people and guarding. And and that's what my company is related to. That's great. Yeah. I, I think being a founder is not just about how to build a company. It's also about how to manage your own psychology through the stress. And Mm -hmm. so that's something we do spend time on. I think it's a little bit unique. So storytelling and and brainstorming. And so it's in person that first week. And then I know that at some point it becomes virtual and what kind of a time commitment is involved? How much time are people in the program spending being educated by Sequoia? Yeah. In the Americas, it's going to be seven weeks long. The mm-hmm. first week's in person, the last week's in person in the mm-hmm. Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And then week four, we go on a group field trip together, which is a lot of fun. For Europe, we went to Klarna in Stockholm. Location still TBD for the Americas program. And then in between, it's virtual. Each week, we do one and a half or two hours of someone from Sequoia, usually one of the partners, teaching mm-hmm. a, a concept and a framework, a little bit more of the here is how to break down culture into why it matters, what a great culture deck looks like. Here are the pieces you need and some practical examples from Alfred Lin at Zappos, wrote the book on culture, literally. And then the next day, another hour and a half to two hours of more practical founder, we call it from the field. So Mm -hmm. it's often another founder or an operator. We had the CRO of Miro, is that right? And then Matilde, the founder of Front, talked on culture, for example. And there it's Q&A, them talking about the real example of how they built their company, how they applied it. So it's about maybe three to four hours of programming. And then on Fridays, there's usually time for the founders to get back together. We call it a peer board where they just get into their groups and share a little bit of what they do. So that that's sort of what the week looks like. So presumably none of these startups have much in common in terms of the problem they're trying to solve. Yeah. There's a broad group of different sectors from fintech to benefits, to consumer, to enterprise SaaS. It's all across the board, but what they do have in common is they're on the founder journey together and it's long and hard. And so we try to teach concepts that are evergreen that apply to all kinds of companies, whether you're enterprise or consumer, like how to hire well or how to do founder-led sales. You mentioned that the last week, everyone comes back together again. So this is the last week, as you mentioned, I think of the European program. It started seven weeks ago. I'd seen per Sequoia's own literature that the startups synthesize the company story they'll be using in recruiting critical early hires. They'll present those stories to a group of Sequoia partners, visiting instructors, and potential customers getting feedback to help them grow. All great. I did wonder, has Sequoia offered further funding to any of these startups during this presentation process? Because surely the startups will be hoping there might be a second check from the firm at the end of the program. It's not a fundraising program. So nobody is expecting a check at the end. It's not a fundraising demo day. It's a little bit more of like, now you've gone through these seven weeks and you've had a chance to think about your own personal story as a founder, the story of your customer, the story of your product, the story of your business, the story of your culture, put it all together in a synthesized 
pitch. Mm-hmm. That's not to investors, but imagine you were trying to close a great candidate, you know, the person you want to be your director of engineering, your first sales hire. What is the most compelling way to tell the story of your company and you? And that's what the final presentations are about. And it's a very friendly audience. It's the other founders. It's Sequoia partners. We've already invested. We obviously love you. And then we're hoping maybe we can bring maybe potential customers, advisors. We try to think about who could be useful to each company and bring them by. Jess, also Sequoia has long worked closely with Y Combinator and even owned a piece of Y Combinator as an investor in the company, which I totally forgot about. I don't know why someone flagged an old piece of mine for some reason. And in the context of that article, which I think I wrote in like 2006 or 2007, there was mention of Sequoia investing in the series A of Y Combinator. I was like, oh my God, I completely forgot about that. Is it still an investor in Y Combinator? No, we are not an LP any longer, but I think we were many, many years ago in the early days. That's definitely true. Right. Okay, great. Also, I also just wanted to ask, this program would seem competitive with the accelerator. Do you agree? Is there a potential that would strain that relationship? Because I know that you've worked hand in hand with them over the years. I actually think it can be pretty complimentary. I think YC is fantastic at giving you velocity as well as helping you fundraise. I think our program is more geared towards long-term foundational company building. Mm -hmm. And I could totally imagine someone going through both. I also wanted to ask, just in terms of where we are right now, every day, every week, things feel uncertain. No one's sure how long this downturn is going to last. I feel like in the first months, I was hearing a lot about startups that were aggressively cutting their staff. Obviously, we're still seeing layoffs every day, curbing their spending. Aside from selling a product or service that people will love and pay for, obviously, what more can founders do right now to get through this downturn? I'm sure they'd be interested in your advice here. We pulled together an all hands for all of our founders about a month ago. We were getting a lot of questions and we just wanted to prepare everyone for what seems like it's going to be a recession. And so we walked through what we were seeing in the market, how we've seen this movie before in 2008 and in Mm -hmm. 2000 and in the eighties and the companies that act decisively and figure out how to weather the storm, but then also how to accelerate out of the curve are the ones that tend to do well. So we just wanted everyone to pause, reassess, and then make those decisive actions. It's very much on a case-by-case basis. For some people in not so great cash positions, they're going to have to make some tough choices. But there are other companies who are actually in really great positions who should be more aggressive. Fang has largely frozen hiring. You're not competing with them so much anymore when you're hiring. So it's actually easier to get a higher concentration of talent. So it's definitely it very much depends on the individual situation of each company. But our advice was embrace the reality of this market, <laughs> figure out what is the right plan and don't keep acting as if nothing has changed. Uh, that was our primary advice. And we did a session following that on forecasting, one on fundraising, and then one on leading through uncertainty. So those are all um, available on our website. How do you feel about pivots? I hosted an event in March of 2020 that was supposed to be live and it became a virtual event at the 11th hour. And Alexis Ohanian was a guest. And I remember him saying then that startups were going to have to rethink what they were working on, which I thought sounded kind of dramatic at the time. But of course, he was right about a lot of companies. They did need to just come up with a totally different business model for that period of time. Is that something that you're seeing in your portfolio or how do you feel about that? 
Again, I think it's on a case-by-case basis, mm-hmm. but customers' minds are shifting right now as the economy plays out. Even if you are selling to an enterprise and not to a consumer, at the end of the day, the buyer is still a human that still feels probably poorer and worried and less willing to take risk. And so for some companies, that means shifting your value prop a little bit from instead of like, oh, now is the time of plenty and you should be thinking about expansion and therefore want to buy our product. Maybe you should be talking about how your product makes your team more efficient. So there are some shifts that certain companies need to make. And then then there are probably others who won't be able to raise their next round and just flat out have to pivot. We just held Sequoia Basecamp, which is our annual gathering of all the founders. We take them out into the woods and we go camping and just bond as a community. And we had a panel where we had three founders who'd gone through some variation of a pivot, some very mild, some very drastic. And they talked through how they made those decisions. We had David from Retool, which I don't know if most folks know this, but Retool started as a payments tool. It was like a peer-to-peer payments product. And it was growing like wildfire, except it was wildly unprofitable. (laughs) And he was just watching his bank account drain down. And he talked about that. And then he decided, you know what, we cannot run this business. It's not a business. And then he noticed that all the internal tooling they had built was really useful. And so they pivoted completely from a consumer app into this enterprise app, which is Retool today, which helps you build internal tools remarkably quickly. Mm -hmm. And he just talked through that decision and what it felt like. And what I really love about David, he's like, sometimes I'm still not sure we have product market fit. I mean, he has millions of revenue, thousands of customers. The company's doing very, very well, but he's so vigilant about listening to the customers and thinking about the product. So that was a really interesting and pertinent session. It also reminds me of Slack, which was a game company that was using this internal messaging system, apparently worked very well and turned into this obviously phenomenal enterprise company. A lot of structure is being introduced into deals based on conversations that I'm having and seeing elsewhere. What are some of the terms with which Sequoia is most comfortable? And also, Jess, what are some of the terms that you would advise your startups never to accept? So wearing my former founder hat, as well as my Sequoia hat, I would say that it's better to avoid structure. I think even a down round with clean terms is probably better because you can get wrapped up in structure and get your hands tied. Another way to look at all of this is 2021 was just an abnormality. The multiples, the public stock market, the stimulus, it was just an anomaly. And if you look at companies and delete the 2021 valuations off Mm. a map and look at your trajectory from 2019 or 2018, maybe that's a better way to look at it. I completely agree. I was starting to think that I was losing my mind because obviously when so many smart people are doing exactly the same thing, you start to think maybe they're right. Can this company be exponentially more valuable than it was just three months ago? I really didn't get it. Yeah. I remember the very first base camp that I went to, Jim Getz presented to the founders. I think he gave the presentation at Stanford GSB. So there's a YouTube video of it somewhere, but he talked about Verrucht, which is the German word for insane or crazy. (laughs) And it was the Don Valentine's license plate at some point. Don Valentine is the founder of Sequoia Capital from 50 years ago. And he had this license plate, Verrucht, to just remind us that there are these crazy times that happen in the cycle. Mm -hmm. And so the presentation talked about the four parts of the hype cycle, verrucht, which is the crazy times, Mm -hmm. correction, which is what we are going through now and feels like a free fall and everyone sort of freezes in place. Then caution, things start bottoming out and opening again. 
And then finally, stability. And you start to see maybe the reasonable multiples and a lot more growth. And then you step into Verrucht again, <laughs> the acceleration and the excess and the wild parties. But we, we went back and looked at the analysis and found that some of the best companies are actually created in the correction times, figure out how to be fiscally disciplined, are able to get high concentration of great talent during the caution and correction phases. And I think our returns are actually somewhat correlated with that based on the analysis that I saw. So. I think now is still a great time to start a company. Sequoia is definitely still open for business. We just launched Arc Americas. I personally did a seed investment three weeks ago. And I think the people who have the courage to start a company now are the ones that are the true believers and the outliers and the underdogs who really feel like, you know, market be damned. I have this problem I care about so Mm. passionately that I'm going to leave my stable job and go do this right now. Well, I think it's also great that you are an advocate of down rounds in many cases. I'd done a story recently where I talked to investors and I was hearing the same thing basically, but it's just better to reset. And I do think that as more companies acknowledge that it's time for a down round, it'll be more widely acceptable to do so. In fact, I, you know, TechCrunch, we talk internally about trying to push founders to talk a little bit more openly about the terms that they're taking or what they're doing, just so that others understand that they're not alone in this. Just also, I know you need to get going. I so appreciate your time. I did want to ask from the seat of the founder, especially somebody who's newer to the industry and might not completely understand how it works. So Sequoia authored a memo a couple of months ago about the changing economic picture, the need for startups to pare back their spending. At the same time, they are seeing Sequoia and other firms continuing to raise billions of dollars in fresh capital. And they might be thinking, is there a disconnect here? Are these firms taking advantage of what's happening in the public market to put the squeeze on us? So for founders that might be thinking that, what do you tell them? I think that venture capital firms operate on the order of decades, right? Like each fund traditionally has a 10-year life cycle. So the idea is to outlive these market cycles, the highs and the lows. We are doing our growth and venture funds now, and they're right on time. (laughs) We raise them every two to two and a half, three years. So there was no real acceleration. What we did do was we changed our structure a little bit. We added the Sequoia Capital Fund. So the venture and growth funds are sub-funds out of the Sequoia Capital Fund. And then Sequoia Capital Fund can hold publics right. and is designed to allow us to break that 10-year cycle of you must give your des- distributions and instead let us manage our LPs money over time and the companies that compound over time and are really, truly generational we, we did some backwards looking math and found that if we had actually managed for our LPs, we would have returned much more if we'd held on to, to some of the best that right? For That's them. so yeah. interesting and not surprising, but it does put more onus on the firm rather than putting that onus of deciding on when to, when to liquidate the shares in the hands of the LPs. But the LPs obviously prefer this, I'm guessing, or they would have pushed back. Yeah, they were happy to participate. Well, Jess, really nice to talk to you. Congratulations on everything that the firm is doing. I'm sure there's going to be a ton of interest in ARC, and I'm glad to help tell founders about it. Thank you, Connie. Take care. That's it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Special thanks to this week's sponsor, Synaptic. We'll see you back here next week. Have a great weekend.